0: Taking Back Birth is a production of the IndieBirth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome! It's Podcast Friday, and this is the Q and A week of the month. So, taking a breath and sharing a couple of seconds of a beautiful mantra by artist Alexia Chaloon. You Can find it on iTunes or I don't know Spotify. Really, really beautiful music. And was my hike this morning. So I just set it on repeat. Um, I was listening to her whole album the last couple of weeks, which is called Jap Hari. But that song, the one I played for you, or a couple of seconds that I played, is called Guru Ram Das Chant. And I think that is just so beautiful. I love how her voice is the only thing on the track. And I just set it on repeat and hike. And it just keeps going around and around. And that's meditation some days, right? Meditation is just living life. And music can be really helpful. So I would totally check that out if you're into music or maybe you're already into mantras. But even if you're not, you could give it a try. I find that kind of music is really meditative, as I said, and just settling to the brain. And it is a prayer, of course, um, even if it's not the language that I speak. And even if I don't know, you know, what the translation is word for word, you can look up of course what the translations are and this is essentially the one i played uh, a mantra of humility and miracles supposedly reconnecting the experience of the finite to infinity so one of my favorites thought i'd share and you can give that artist some love and maybe incorporate mantras into your own daily practice if you are so called So, quick update before we get into the Ask Marin Q&A Friday. Doing Midwife Mondays on Monday. Duh. And I'd love to see you there. So, if you want to watch this live video on Mondays, then join our social because that's free and all of the info is there. The Midwife Monday is also free. So, social.indiebirth.org. We're trying really hard, if you couldn't tell, to just get everybody over there. Uh, we have so many platforms we're on telegram now instagram and that's all good we're not ultimately looking to like cut those off at this moment but the social is really the hub like things are posted there that aren't anywhere else the discussion is really awesome um you know you can private message people and then something like this midwife monday is an event over there so go check it out i've only done one so far and honestly it was kind of a disaster because it was snowing in Sedona, and my internet went out, which makes for a really poor live video. So I'm hoping for better times going forward, and I think it'll be great. And it's really the place for me to be less structured. Um, These podcasts, you know, aside from today, which might feel really random because it's questions, you know, I have a topic. So the Midwife Monday, I've been thinking about it, but then... I want to just do at the moment, whatever comes out. So it's kind of my, my feminine version. And this is sort of feeling like the more masculine version sometimes, both of which I think are cool and balanced. So I'm going to be talking over there about just whatever comes out. If you're curious about my life or more as a midwife, Um, I'm really in learning mode right now. I think it's just coming to the end of the uh, fourth trimester roomy will be three months in, I don't know, a week or so. So I think that's why I'm just really enjoying digging into new subject matter, taking things I knew even further and deeper, working with clients in a different way. I got a whole new pile of books in the mail yesterday. I'm in some online courses. So I'll share more about that over on Midwife Monday. But that is kind of what I've been up to you. I also recorded a podcast with my good buddy, Nathan. Who many of you know? Uh, He's an OB and he's been on my podcast a couple of times. And I've actually been on his already. He has the OB Gyno Wino podcast, and you have to know him to think that's funny, maybe. (laughs) But that's how we met. We met through his podcast, and I've been on it already, just an interview about home birth or something and then he wanted to interview me about Rumi's birth story. So that's what we talked about last week. And I'm sure he'll get that out at some point when he has time. And many of you have heard that story, but it's always different in a way when I tell it to different people. And just knowing his audience, um, I feel like, you know, I told it in a different way than maybe I've shared here just because his audience is, well, probably a lot of doctors. So not to say I wasn't being honest, but you know, the spirituality and such, um, I didn't go into as much there. And I also talked more about my late miscarriage with Sable there. And I haven't really talked about that on many podcasts other than my own before. And, you know, Nathan's a palliative care doctor. So I can't believe we've never talked about that publicly. And it was really nice, actually, to have him hold space for that story. And I don't even remember how it came up. I mean, maybe he just asked, but it wasn't really a plan. talk about it so anyway when that is released you can go check that out if you'd like and hear um, us talk oh one more story that i thought of sharing this morning that i thought was really cute uh, just for my own life here you know we have these three little girls kind of at the end with Rumi, and they're just all really cute together and they play together and they're just silly and one of my sons had his friend over last night for dinner and then the kid slept over. So this, you know, other boy was hanging around. He's about 12, I think. And the little girls just are in total flirt mode. They just think he is so fun and they really like him and they just like to tease him and kind of hang on him. You know how little kids do that sometimes when they just find someone Anyway, I just thought that was cute because Deva was very flirtatious this morning saying goodbye to him as he left. And I forgot what she even called him, but we were all laughing so hard, just like a little pet name she has for this boy. Um, and I guess, you know, I also wanted to share that this kid in particular, who's 12, um, I was at his birth, you know, and I just marvel because he's like this big tall kid now and he's so cute and my, my little girls are running after him and this is a kid I saw emerge from his mother and that just sort of blows my mind. Maybe, you know, even more so than my own kids in a way and I was thinking back on his birth which was interesting because he was the first for his mom and I was still a student and I remember his mom was just having a hard time like a lot of people do right just in labor and getting to that end point and we kind of left them alone for a little while went outside and then we kind of heard her yelling so we ran back in and the baby was on his way but and this is like the clinical thing I guess I wanted to share here that this kid doesn't even know but I'll leave his name out of it so whatever um But the midwife I worked with had told me that my job was to, like, facilitate the delivery better. And I don't ever use the word delivery, so I'm merely uh, quoting her. So she meant, um, you know, kind of what you're taught in, in OB school, really, which is you kind of flex the head manually upon crowning. And then, you know, you get the shoulders and all that. Well, thank God I couldn't really do that because the mom was in the birth pool. And I also just didn't want to touch her in that way. But I do remember attempting to flex this baby's head. So anyway, not not like the best memory on the midwife student side of things, but it was a beautiful birth and he's a beautiful, was a beautiful baby and is just a really great kid. And I also feel so grateful that... That's the relationship we have with a lot of people in this community. Um, one of my other sons, you know, has a friend that's like new to the area. And, and while we welcome new people, um, it's strange, you know, and I, and I don't have the same trust, obviously, with someone that just shows up here in Sedona, which a ton of people are doing, because we really have this amazing thing where we've known people for more than a decade and like I said I've been present with a lot of them at this super intimate point in their lives. So, anyway, just a fun story to share before we get into the Q&A. So, the way this works so far and this is the first time I'm doing this is Julie, our amazing coworker, assistant, whatever you want to call her, is asking on Instagram for questions the week that I'm about to do this podcast. So my plan is to do this the last Friday of the month. So she asked this week. Point being, if you really have a question you want to ask, then I suppose submitting it there on Instagram would be the way to go because Julie's really organized and great. And she compiles them all for me in one place. So that is really nice. And uh, shout out to Megan, one of our amazing midwifery students who actually had this idea when I asked earlier in January how to structure my podcast, she said, do it like Dr. Stew. He does a and a And I think I said there, and I'm going to say it here, uh, yeah, it's a great idea. And I feel like maybe I'm just insecure, but I feel like Dr. Stu has, I don't know, not better questions, but I don't know. They just come more naturally to him, and, and people probably contact him about 100 times more. Then they contact me with things, so I don't know. We'll see how this goes, and if it's not good, then maybe I won't keep doing it, and if people enjoy it, then I will, and if I enjoy it, I will, and I guess my final word on that is I'm going to set my timer so I don't make an hour podcast about one of these questions because that's not really the point. Otherwise, I would have just done a podcast on the question. I want to cover the questions that were asked, but because there's so many, I'm going to Uh, set my timer for four minutes. So I'm going to give each question four minutes or less. And I don't know what's going to come out because I just printed this out. Julie got them to me yesterday. I haven't really even read them. And so if you hear a question that you want me to elaborate on and possibly make a full podcast about, then please email me because otherwise, then we're just going to do the four minute version. And that might work too. You know, I don't know that a lot of these really warrant more than that. Um, and it's really going to force me to think on my feet and not sit here and stutter for the first 30 seconds, which I could do. So, uh, Marin at is my email, always, at least right now, always. And I want to hear from you if you have any thoughts or questions or, like I said, hear anything that you want to know more about. Otherwise, I'm going to go full steam ahead. And this shouldn't be terribly long if I really do keep it to four minutes. And I hope it doesn't feel spastic. I'm hoping that for me, too. Just like, woo, here, there, everywhere, all the things. All right, I'm going to get my timer up. Hmm, Do I want a timer? No, I don't want it to buzz on us, do I? I don't think I want it to buzz. I'll just put the stopwatch on. Okay. Okay, so I'm just going to go through these and see what comes out. And then we'll be done. All right, here we go. What kind of things do you do postpartum to gain back strength? Timer started. Well, I'm assuming the person who asked meant physical strength. I think there's all kinds of ways to talk about our recovery in postpartum. Physical strength is a favorite of mine, as I've shared. Um, Maybe I'm a weirdo. I don't know. I really like using my body. And on the flip side, it really bugs me that I'm weak that 10 babies is not nothing, and I have work to do. Luckily, um, I have the desire to do that and the time, so yay. So the things I actually do, um, many of you know I hike every single day, and I'm up to, I usually do two or three miles, whatever an hour is. I'm usually out for an hour, and that feels like enough. And today the trails were so muddy and gross that I probably went pretty slow. But just hiking, you know, just walking, just getting out there and breathing and um, all that, I feel like is an amazing way to slowly get stronger without anything fancy. So you don't need fancy equipment. I'm also doing yoga quite a bit. And I used to hate yoga. I'll be honest. It's just like boring. But it's been not boring. And some days, by the time I get to it, which typically I, I hike in the morning and then I'll either work out or do yoga In the afternoon, I'm tired. Sometimes I'm too tired to work out. And yoga is the ticket. So I like the Down Dog app. And it's free. I don't pay for it right now. Um, I have in the past, but I'm not paying right now. And it's great. You can set the timer. You can pick what kind of yoga you want. And they lead you through the whole thing. So I think being intentional with that and not doing, I'm not doing like crazy athletic yoga where you move really fast or anything. It's like intentional. Intentional breathing, you know, engaging that core, which is the main part that needs recovery, and just general muscle building in a really like slow way. So that and I do work out. Um I've started a six-week program with Nike Training Center, which I do pay for that one. Uh and I would totally recommend it if you're into this sort of thing. They have amazing workouts and you can set your music and the trainers are really great. And this is a beginning program. Before I got pregnant, I was, you know, more fit. But I'm starting with the beginner one for the same reason. Like my arms may be able to do certain things or, you know, lift weights. But my core is sadly a little behind. <sighs> so those sorts of things. And let's see. Is there anything else? Other ways to gain back strength? Um, just food, nutrition, really good food. Good hydration, supplements that I know work for me, chiropractic, you know, so many things. And more of like emotional strength is just time, time to digest the birth experience, still time to reflect on who I am because I'm new again. And I think that really is another display of strength and a different kind of awareness. So I make plenty of time for meditation, like I said breathing, doing nothing, sitting here in my room, reading a book. Uh, I'm all about me right now with some time off from births. So I would highly recommend that, you know, don't give it away. Don't get back too soon. Don't not ask for help. Do all of those things because strength is not just a one word answer. Cool. Well, I kept that to under four minutes. Yay. Okay. How do you make time for 10 children? Hmm. I mean, I want to answer the question, but part of me sometimes picks questions apart if you didn't notice and like wants to make a different question out of them (laughs) because I often feel like, especially in birth, sometimes questions are asked where people like miss the point. So no offense if this was you asking, but I don't really feel like I have to make time like I have time. I have time because I have 10 kids, and I wanted all 10 of them, and I love all 10 of them, and that doesn't mean we live this, like, perfect fairy tale life. Um, You know, as I'm thinking about it, there are a couple of them, and it's mainly the older ones where, you know, lately we haven't done a whole lot together, probably since Rumi's birth, so I think I said this on another podcast. It's a good reminder for me to be like, oh, yeah, I should check in with one of them, so-and-so. And, you know, see if they want to go for a walk or, or go out to lunch or something. So some of that feels more intentional. Like I have to make the time, you know, to use your phrase, whoever it was. But I really do have the time. And I don't know. I don't really feel like it's that big of a struggle. And I don't mean to like blow it off or, you know, I know people do struggle sometimes just with one kid or two. But we all have our different paths and our, you know, our different strengths. And I'll never forget a long time ago, someone reading my astrology chart, and I'm not an astrology expert. I do appreciate it. Uh, But anyway, in my house, whatever house has children and family, I have a lot of like good energy and whatever planetary this or that. So I don't know. It's just kind of been my karma, I think, in this life to be a mom to that many and to frankly not struggle too much. And I think that sort of goes without saying. Because I really wouldn't have 10 kids if I didn't feel like I had time for another one. So I feel very grateful. I feel very lucky. They're amazing. And, you know, to the question of making time, again, I think we all have time for what we want to have time for. And that doesn't mean, like I said, every day I hit all the check boxes of all 10 of them. But little kids, for example, I think I shared somewhere else. We just read books a lot. Like, they love that. They want to sit on my lap. They want to cuddle. They want to pick books. And that's really special and bonding and easy. And it's something I enjoy. So I don't know. I think I'm done with that one. (laughs) What do you struggle with as a midwife, parent, or woman in general? Let's see. Well... I think the struggles I'm feeling right now, I don't even know if that's the word again that I would use, but where I'm feeling like I'm putting my attention right now is on a deep self growth process. And I haven't really shared too much about that in podcast form because it's so out there in a way and it's so personal and it's so like neither here or there. And if you're working on your internal growth, it feels like you can be a different person if you get to a certain point, And that's how I'm often feeling. And then also you look back and it's not a linear journey, this thing of being human and, and moving forward. So you can look back and think like, What have I actually done? Like, what is there to talk about, right? So that's where I am right now. But I wouldn't call it a struggle. I really think it's a gift to be alive during this time and to have had the life I've had and the experiences I've had and want to grow from that because there's always things that I want to be better at. And I don't like even saying that. So maybe that's where the struggle is. I'm someone that has this idea of perfection in their head. I think a lot of people are like this. But if I tie it back to my childhood, I can see why that's so. I was a really good student. You know, I was the kid that always did whatever the parents wanted. (laughs) Uh, And so getting away from that is what I'm feeling as an adult. You know, who, who am I really? Kind of like the big essential questions of being alive, you know? And how can I be more gentle with myself? So the struggle is that. How do I accept where I am? How can I do better without over-criticizing myself? How ultimately can I have as much compassion for myself as I am able to have for other women, really? Like, I can hear all kinds of stuff come out of people's mouths, and I don't have judgment on it. Like, honestly, It's like, whoa, that's a lot. Hmm, that's intense. Wow, that was hard. But I don't do that for myself. So, you know, those of you that resonate with being really hard on yourself, that's something I am really wanting to be done with because it's really not productive. And it's just not nice. It's not being nice to yourself to, you know, sort of look in the mirror and always want to see some other version self-love, you know, self-worth, that's that's what I'm on, that's where I'm at, and uh, it is a struggle in the sense of returning to old patterning can be really enticing, because it's more comfortable, so getting out of the comfortable into the uncomfortable is my struggle, but I love it, and I'm happy to be doing it, and ultimately, as a midwife, as a parent, as a woman, as this person asked, it is benefiting me, and I think probably benefiting the people around me. I'm doing so well this time, speaking of being perfect. Okay, is a cord wrapped around a baby's neck something to be concerned about? Why or why not? Um. Short answer, no. I'm sure there are situations, there have been, there will be, where a cord is just so tight that a baby cannot get out for some reason. I've never seen it. I don't even know that I've heard about it. Because often, if you hear that kind of thing, it's usually after some kind of major intervention, like a cesarean. And often in that situation, when they do the cesarean, they just need a reason. And they were like, oh, the baby's cord was wrapped around the neck. So the poor cord, the poor neck, they both have gotten a bad reputation when it's really not a problem. I always think of Dr. Stu, actually, because I remember hearing him explain this. And I forget the word he used, but... Uh, it's essentially whatever word means we are taking, you know, the way something would be for us in our adult bodies, and we're using that interpretation or how that makes us feel or how terrible it would be to, for example, have a cord around our neck, and we're putting it on a baby's physiology, which is not the same, especially in utero, right? So they're not breathing out of their lungs, so you know certainly, yeah, you don't want to cut off circulation, but it's not the same thing. And as an adult, if you imagine something around your neck, it sort of makes you feel panicky or fearful or upset. And we're also, you know, perhaps putting those emotional states of that experience onto a baby who has a cord around the neck when there's no way, there's no reason to think that a baby feels anything you know, emotionally like scary about it. It could or could and probably is just normal and physiological for many babies in utero because they only have so much room in there, right? So when a baby tangles himself up in his cord and Egan, my second, had three wraps of cord around his neck and one under his armpit. Yes, he did. He was fine, but his cord was so long. Uh, And as a kid, a little kid, he would wrap... He would wrap rope all around the house. It was really cool see him reenact that. But anyway, uh, cord around the neck is something that happens in utero early on. So a full-term baby probably isn't able to do that. So when a baby is small, a fetus is smaller, uh, whatever, you know, who knows, right? 16 weeks, 20 weeks, maybe earlier, maybe a little bit later, that's when they're doing all the gymnastics and they're getting wrapped up in their cords probably, So it happens. Nothing to do about it. And more active babies, you know, may do more crazy things. But ultimately, it's self-protective. So I love explaining it like that because I think that's a very optimistic way of talking about something that people think is so scary, again, for the reasons mentioned. But a full-term baby that's going to be born, who has a really long cord, was super smart to wrap it around its neck, honestly. Because cords can be pinched, and when a cord is pinched, the blood supply is pinched. So having a cord caught, let's say, between a mom's pelvis and a baby's head is bad, can be bad, with contractions especially. So a baby that has, you know, either just had the good luck or whatever, who knows, the the thinking ahead, perhaps, to wrap or whatever, um, has that cord safe around the neck where it can't be pinched. So it's really fine, and I'm not good at statistics, but it's a pretty high statistic, I think, like 30% maybe. Babies have cord around the neck. It's nothing to fear. It's nothing to really blame for anything at all, honestly. And oh my gosh, I almost said four minutes. Obviously, I liked this one. Um, I guess I'll stop. Okay, I'm not going to let myself blab on. That was a good one. Maybe I should do a podcast on that. <laughs> Okay, this is an intense one. Uh, Does intuition always lead to a live baby? No. That's my two cents. No. And I get the question. I really do, because I think that's something very prevalent in natural birth land. And if I should be so bold, um, especially among free birthers, that they think if they just trust themselves, uh, everything will be fine. And sadly there are totally women out there who have lost babies you know through no fault of their own because sometimes babies die and they have had this guilt trip happening within them and i've talked to several of them and it's a really hard conversation and i'm not telling anyone else how to think about it especially if you have lost a baby but that's the question like i trusted myself i followed my intuition how could my baby have died Right? Big question. So my interpretation is as often uh, more spiritual, in a sense, because intuition, let's define that is staying on the path. That's kind of what I've made up. I've made that up. That's like listening, you're staying on your path of truth. You are listening to what comes in. And you are following that guidance. So, case in point, when I had my late miscarriage, I was following my intuition, right? And when I had some bleeding, it flashed through my brain, you know, is this baby alive? And he was at that moment, he wasn't like a day later, but, you know, it challenged my intuition because when I first saw the bleeding, I thought, he's dead. And then he wasn't, so I was confused, but then he did, so the timing was maybe not what I thought, right? I mean, time is this weird thing we've made up as well. And then here's what I think is the take-home point, at least for me, was even when I thought he was alive and I was like, oh, I was just being crazy, you know, he's fine, Um, that's what I kept saying to myself. My intuition said, everything's fine. And I remember writing it in a journal. And to me that meant, oh, my baby is going to live. Well, it did not mean that, but ultimately everything was fine. So I think you have to think about what level you're asking for guidance on. You know, it's like if you consult divination cards or tarot cards or whatever, I mean, whatever, looking for a sign. It's really easy to get into more simplistic questions because we want an answer as humans. We want a yes or no. So if you have worked at all, like with cards, it's a good practice to not ask a yes or no question because really, like, what good is that? What wisdom is that? You just want someone else to say, you know, is it going to be okay, essentially, which yeah, we all want, but we can't really get that from anyone else. So anyway, I don't know how I got off on cards and I'm almost out of time, but sadly, no, I don't think following your trust and intuition always leads to a live baby. Not to mention, there's also just soul contracts and karma and our agreement to be here on earth for as long as we're here. That really has nothing to do with anyone else, um, even our parents, sort of sadly. Are there any herbs you use for helping keep calm during labor? The only herb I have ever used, and it's not an herb, it's a flower essence, is Rescue Remedy. I love flower essences. They're really gentle. They don't have a alcoholic taste. They don't have a taste at all. And they work energetically. So it might be fun to do a podcast on flower essences. But I'm not going to today. So yeah, that's all I've ever used. I personally wouldn't really use tinctures during a labor of my own. And very rarely have I ever suggested them with anyone else. As a midwife though, if someone has been up for three nights and they can't get any sleep and the choice is, you know, some midwives use alcohol, I mean, and people can do whatever they want, but some midwives might use, you know, a shot of whatever whiskey to help a mom relax during a long labor. Um, I've not really done that because I don't know. Doesn't resonate with me, but yeah, I've used herbs in that in that way. So motherwort, um, lemon balm, you know, catnip. There's all kinds of good relaxation herbs you could kind of make a little cocktail of, and sometimes it's just enough to help a mom relax. But in a normal labor, things moving ahead, uh, I wouldn't really suggest any of that. And I'm not an herbalist. I don't. I like plants and I respect them, but. Western herbalism is not my, it's not always my medicine of choice. Let's put it that way. So other ways to keep calm during labor. Music is really great. That's been a favorite of mine. Um, You know, oils, essential oils in a diffuser or even on you if it's not too strong. Breathing, feeling relaxed, having people around you love. So those would be my ideas. Any info or advice for a first time mom who ended up with a low upright T incision and desires a VBAC? Um, I think you mean an inverted T. That's what I would call it. But you're right, too. So, yeah, that's considered a special scar, right? And those um, options are usually far and few between for moms who've had a special scar and want a V back. Um, what advice? Well, we do have a podcast somewhere out there with a past client of mine. Her name is Jackie and she had, um, a home feedback after a similar incision and then went on to have another one. And we recorded a podcast. I don't remember when in her journey, but that's very inspirational. And you know, many other women have done it as well. So uh, checking with the special scars group, I also did a podcast with Jessica Teterman. Uh, who runs Special Scars. I don't know if she still does, honestly, but we did a podcast a long time ago, so you could listen to that. Um, other than that, I would say, do all your emotional homework, all your spiritual homework. Um, you know, a uh, cesarean is is not the kiss of death for having a, a vaginal birth, obviously, but I think the tendency to... Um, have another one, frankly, is possible when people don't look at what pattern perhaps got them there in the first place. So I don't know who you are, but it's a great question. Uh, You should take our 13 moons, which is still donation only because there's all kinds of information about physiological birth and, you know, creating the experience you want and looking at your own birth when you were a baby. Like there's all kinds of things to look at because I have no idea, of course, what created the cesarean in the first place so it could be anything right maybe you had a breach baby uh i don't know so i'd look more specifically at that and finally um you know for anybody and not just the person that asked this question we do do virtual prenatals and i love working with people one-on-one that way because obviously that gives us a whole hour to focus on you And multiple hours, if you want to do multiple sessions, because, you know, question and answer like this can't really help someone personally. And it really is so personal. So if anybody is interested in that, it's on our homepage on the website, IndieBirth.org. Look at virtual, I don't know what it says, virtual prenatals or something, virtual appointments at the top, and you can book one with Margo or I. So I would do that uh, in addition to the suggestions. How did you find the power to leave the system? Hmm. Yeah, well, read our book, Indie Birth, A Story of Radical Birth Love. That's on Amazon for the full story. But how did I? Well, I think when people make huge life changes, which was what that was, I think it's typically because they hit their limit. They hit their limit, right? And in some circumstances, there's all kinds of like connotations there. Oh, she went crazy or, you know, whatever. In other words, who knows how it looks from the outside when you hit your limit. But I had hit my limit in so many ways with the system. Um, From a very young woman, and I'll share about this more some other time, but like I had cervical surgery and, you know, I think experienced some degree of medical trauma and abuse, um, you know, through my first birth, which was a hospital birth, which was actually really tied to that other experience because I really was made to believe I needed them. I just eventually got tired of it, you know, I was angry and even though I had been told to not trust my body and to trust them, to trust the system, I did know that I was inherently more capable. So it was just timing, really. And I think I think that's a good way of describing that decision. You know, it was timing. It was the culmination of a part in my life that I was ready to move on with. It was anger. And then I think it's also on a more positive note um, to leave any system, not just the medical system. And I don't know actually what this person meant. Maybe they meant like (laughs) the big system, because we pretty much aren't in that either. Um, I think it's just recognizing that we are free. We are free beings. We don't need to ask for that. We don't need to work at that. We are inherently free by birth. But yeah, these systems... That largely our parents had agreed to, have agreed to, engaged us in a way where we became slaves in all the ways. So, I mean, I appreciate the question, although I'm not sure that I that I utilized my power per se. It was more like determination and an awareness of this freedom and wanting to be that, you know, wanting to stand in that light. And not keep complaining about all the things I hate or hated about a system I agreed to. So, yeah, I think if you're in a system, you've agreed to it. Doesn't mean it's fun. Doesn't mean it's hard to find your way out of. But once you realize you are free, it's like you have to work backwards. You know, once you realize you are free, then you take the steps to undo what you've done. Um... Vaginal birth with bladder prolapse. Yeah, prolapse is a huge topic. And I feel like I am not the expert on such things. There are so many people out there right now with such great training around biomechanics and and things like prolapse. And I don't feel like I'm one of them. Uh, And I'm interested, of course, as a midwife. To the degree that I am, but I I don't really have a desire, honestly, to like be a specialist in one of those areas. Um, You know, I would say first and foremost, find a specialist if that resonates with you. Uh, Find a pelvic floor specialist. Find someone that works with women in this way, even if you are pregnant, and just get an assessment from them. Because my experience, and and I'm not saying it's extensive by any means. My experience with prolapse during um, pregnancy and other people and my my own, too. I mean, I think everyone that's birthed a couple of babies has some even slight degree of prolapse. And so you got to wonder if that's maybe even normal. I digress, but I would maybe get an assessment from someone and, you know, just see because my experience has been that it doesn't cause any problems other than inconveniencing sort of things, which I agree are not normal. But in pregnancy, there's only so much you can do to correct the problem. Um, So, you know, full honest disclaimer here, I really do not have, you know, issues that I would attribute to prolapse when I'm not pregnant. But my last two pregnancies Um, I definitely was having some bladder like leakage and it was only at certain times of the day. Like it was always when I first got up, which was very odd. It like had something to do with, I don't know, laying down and then maybe getting up and having all the pressure there. I'm not really sure. Um, And that was really, you know, it's not fun. It's disappointing in a sense. Um, Something about, you know, just wanting your body to not do that. And it's sort of embarrassing and all the things. So I have experienced that. But again, I haven't heard any stories. I don't know of anyone where these things are so bad that, you know, they can't have a normal birth. So that is what the person was asking. So vaginal birth, Um, you know, on the on the other side, as far as like not making it worse, I would take our 13 moons and learn about physiological birth and learn about, you know, how to let your baby Uh, Push itself out, essentially, you know, no coach pushing, no force pushing, no on your back pushing, just be really gentle with yourself Um, during the birth, let your body just do what it needs to do. And then after birth, definitely recover, which is not the question. But you know, vaginal steaming, for example, and um, even doing yoga, and there's all kinds of ways and a billion systems out there that people have for that kind of thing. Okay, toddlers and new babies, what does sleep look like for you daily? I might do a podcast on sleep with the whole family. I mean, about the whole family. So we'll see. But that would be a mothering one coming up. It's possible because people ask this all the time. And I don't know if it'll be a podcast. I'm not sure how much I have to say because I haven't really struggled with sleep the way I know some people do with kids. Um... So we have three little girls in our room right now across, like, I'm in my bed with Jason and Rumi. And then right, you know, right here in the same room, the three little girls are in their bed and they sleep pretty well. Although Jason just said to me this morning, he said something like, how many times did I get up last night? And I don't think he actually did. And I said, you know, some people have kids that sleep way worse. And I know I'm right about that. But with the three of them, yeah, maybe, maybe once a night, there's something there's plenty of nights where there's nothing. Uh, The typical complaint at the moment (laughs) is that Cove is a wild animal sleeper. And she like, plops herself on poor little Deva. So Deva will wake up crying and say, Mom, move Cove, move Cove, and I'll have to get up and move her. But that's about the extent of Our night's being interrupted. We all go to bed uh, in this room. So three little girls and Rumi and Jason and I, we all go to bed at 8 p.m., no joke. And I'm in bed till probably 7 the next morning with a baby and the girls. So, yeah, it's really not that bad. And Rumi's nursing a couple times a night. It's really not, you know, I know it'll probably get more when he starts getting teeth. But right now it's manageable. So that's the sleep. No one takes naps around here, though, uh, except for Rumi, obviously. Cove, nope, stop napping. Um, Deva will be four. She's not interested in napping. She's really tired, though, by seven or eight, and she falls asleep faster than anyone. She usually falls asleep on my bed with me um, when we, like, watch a show or something. Cove's a trooper. she keep going. But as far as, like, toddlers and new babies together, uh, we used to have you know, the toddler and the new baby in the bed together. But there's no need to right now, because even though Cove's really young, she'll be two next week. She's happy to sleep with her sisters. And it's like literally a foot away. (laughs) So it's kind of like we're still in the same bed. But we had never done that before. We'd always had the toddler and the baby. And really, I just think the toddler would be, you know, on the far side, probably near a wall next to Jason and then the baby near me. And it's always worked out fine. But I'm glad, actually, that Cove isn't because it really gives us more room, obviously, to move around and, you know, move him around and all that. All right. Last question. Look how great we've done. Have you ever nonsensically feared a certain part of the birth process, like crowning, after experiencing a really, really empowered birth? Yeah, totally. 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 Um, I think fear is a normal part, honestly, of preparation. And I don't think it necessarily gets better when you've had babies. I think the first time you don't even know necessarily what to be scared of other than what people have told you or what you've read. But once you've done it, for me, there's always been that part, you know, that is sort of imprinted That was intense or maybe painful. And when you know you have to do it again, it's like you don't care how great it wound up. You just are scared to pass through that, pass through that fire again. So crowning, I can't say ever has scared me, but that doesn't mean I haven't been scared. Um, I love that part and I don't think it's painful at all. But to kind of like answer your question um, in a way that applies to me. It's been the part, and I've shared this in other podcasts, it's been the part where, like, you're done opening and the baby, like, shoots down into your body but isn't coming out yet, if that makes sense to anyone out there. It's really an intense feeling, and I don't know. Maybe that's why Rumi didn't want to come out that way. Hmm, it's interesting to ponder, isn't it? Um, so how have I ever dealt with that? Well, I think the nonsensical part is just normal. It doesn't make sense. Like, we know we can do it. We know we will do it, even though, yes, weird things can happen. Um, But, yeah, we kind of fear what we know. So I guess my best advice would be to kind of rethink that and to ask yourself why you're scared. Like, what is that that you're feeling, you know, and what's the worst that can happen? And, you know, for me, it was like that one part is so intense that I was just afraid. Let's see, what was I afraid of? Now I have to remember. Well, it's a feeling of completely being out of control. Like that was my actual fear is that I would be so out of control that I don't know. And then I had to ask myself, what, what, then what? Like you'd be so out of control that what? that it would, you know, hurt so bad, it would be so intense. Well, I knew I wouldn't actually break open, right? I knew I wasn't actually going to die or whatever it is. So what is that fear about? I think loss of control is a common fear. And ultimately, like that's the deeper thing going on. And so for me, it was working with that. Okay, if my fear is being out of control, and I fear that that feeling of like falling, essentially, you know, just like falling into a black hole, that out of control, then how can I work with that prenatally? And for me, it was surrendering, right? So if you surrender, if you find a way to be in it, if you find a way to just let it happen, if you find a way to like, let it run you over, Then you're not trying to force it. You're not trying to force control. And if control is is where the problem is, right? I mean, it makes logical sense. So that has helped me in the past. And, you know, Rumi's birth aside, because that was a kind of a crazy different story. um, Rumi's birth aside, I worked on that before coves and call me lucky. Maybe it was just luck. I don't know she really just kind of fell out and i think it really was the lack of resistance to holding on to controlling any of it like just let it go um if it's crowning and you're afraid of that just you know i don't know see it happening and train your muscles and your body and your psychology to just watch it just let it happen you know just let it wash over you and of course with that crowning there's other things right like You could have your own hands down there and um, I don't know, you could find a way to find the beauty in that moment, right? Because it's almost over and your baby's head is between worlds and it's like so mind blowing and and amazing. Um, So anyway, maybe that will be a longer podcast because I am out of time and I did spend more time on this last question only because it was the last and I think that's a really uh, powerful question, talking about fear and how we go forward when we feel fear. So perhaps that will be continued, but I'm going to uh, stop now so that nobody gets too sick of the q and I don't know. I don't know if they will or you will or I will. Somebody might. Okay, deep breath to end. That was a lot wrapped up in that very short amount of time. Thanks for listening to me, Blab don't forget to check out the IndieBirth site. If you're interested in midwifery, we are enrolling again in July, 2021. So stay tuned for what that looks like. You do need a prerequisite done with us. And that is the Birth Warrior Project or, and this is new, so don't turn off your recording yet, or our intro to Autonomous Midwifery. And that is a really awesome course that is a prereq, either or. You can choose either one. But um It's more midwifery based, obviously, and you can find that on our social platform. I can't remember the link on our own site offhand, but you could definitely find it on our social, uh, which again, one more time, social.indiebirth.org. It should be kind of in the featured courses and you can check that out. And we'd love to see you do that and take that if you're looking to go to midwifery school with us. All right, everybody. Have a beautiful weekend. I'll see you again next week.